I want to welcome everyone again to the second of our third part of our three-part series on intention and the mitzvot of Tishrei. Today's session, we're going to continue in exploring how intention factors into the mitzvot of Tishrei with Sukkot, and we look forward to we're going to look at the debate regarding whether the construction of the sukkah itself must be done for the purpose of the mitzvah, and we'll see the underpinnings of this Talmudic discussion and how they're reflected in discussions of Breed Mila as well. Um, so it's my pleasure to introduce to you again this week, Dr. Shana Strautschik. As you may recall uh, from last week's session, Dr. Strautschik is a fellow of the Center for Israel Studies at Yeshiva University, and she teaches Talmud and Halacha in Mechlelet Mavasar Yerushalayim, Matan in Israel. And in the, she also teaches for us in the Jerusha Summer Kolal. So some of you have already taken a number of her classes. In 2011, she became the first woman to be awarded a PhD in Talmudic literature from the Bernard Rebel Graduate School of Jewish Studies at Yeshiva University, where she completed her MA in Bible. And Dr. Strautschik studied in the graduate program in advanced Talmud at Stern College and has held a postdoctorate fellowship at Bar-Ilan and Haifa University. Her upcoming book, Between Thought and Deed, Intention in Talmudic Jurisprudence, examines the role of intentionality in the development of Talmudic law and is being published by Brill. Congratulations on that. I know I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who's looking forward to today's session. So without further ado, Dr. Schick, please take it away. It's a long bio. I have to I'll cut that down. Um, okay, welcome everyone. It's so nice to be here again and to learn with everyone. Um, so we'll start with a little recap of what we did last week, um, analyze it a little bit, and then we're going to go on uh, to talk about this new uh, topic and how it relates. So I once again going to uh, share my uh, very nice PowerPoint. So today we're going to talk about and how he expands uh, the role of in attention in ritual mitzvot. Um, now be um, before we talk about that, um, so last week we saw that an early rabbinic law recorded in the Mishnah and the Torosefta that ritual is seen as being very much uh, tied to in uh, eternal devotion. And indeed, we saw that the Mishnah consistently rules um, that whenever it uh, talks about a ritual vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Kavanah Palev and uh, intentionality, that it is necessary um, for, for one to fulfill their religious obligation. And we saw that it unambiguously requires that one direct their heart um, when hearing the shofar or Rosh Hashanah, when uh, reciting a Kriyat Shema every day, when hearing the scroll of Esther on Chag HaPurim, we saw during a prayer as well. Um, and we also discussed how this really is the conventional view of ritual. Um, which really understands a ritual act as being meaningful because it's done with a proper in uh, attention which comes along with it. But last week, here's our Mishnah in Abrachot, they have a proper frame of mind. Um, but we also saw um, another view introduced by Rava, the fourth uh, generation uh, Babylonian rabbi, who gave a new a view of, of ritual by uh, saying that you don't need a requisite in attention when performing a ritual act. Um, and yet we saw that this a very same rubber 
um, when it comes to religious uh, uh, violations, as well as the liability for uh, torts and uh, damages, Rava in, par in particular consistently requires that one act with the intention and the purpose to harm, to do a, a, to do a sin. And so we saw, again, one is only liable for idolatry if they wanted to accept the idol as a deity. Um, one only has to pay a compensation for harming another person's a property if they wanted to harm the other person's a property. We saw that for Rebbe, one is only liable for violating the, the Shabbat if that was one's a purpose. They wanted to specifically violate the Shabbat. So we see on one hand, he places very a lot of weight on one's uh, thought and on in uh, in attentionality when it comes to uh, uh, violations but when it comes to uh, doing a mitzvah and for the fulfilling a requirement a ritual he basically dispenses with it all together and saying all you really need is a a very small minimal amount to act and to know that you're doing the act which uh, constitutes a ritual even if you don't want to do the ritual at all so hence if you're blowing the shofar on rosh hashanah not because you want to do your mitzvah but because you want to play a song on the shofar rabbi says you fulfill your obligation and even though this went against an explicit mission which says you only fulfill your mitzvah of shofar on rosh hashanah and Rosh Hashanah, if you uh, directed your heart to do the mitzvah. Um, so we saw that even though for Rava, uh, kavanah, rich in uh, attention, is a concept around which many of his rulings are decided, if it's a violation, he requires it, but if it's a fulfillment of a ritual, he dispenses with it. And we said that per Perhaps he's really introducing this idea of ritual as its own area of law. One which is not determined by one's act, but, I mean, by one's uh, thought, but one that is determined by one's act. And, uh, and the fact that we as a people, as a community, give meaning to a specific set of acts at a specific uh, time in a specific way, and that itself is meaningful. And this is an idea which modern ritual uh, theorists have uh, proposed as well, that ritual is, is meaningful because it's an act that a people to, uh, together do. And that on its own uh, can be meaningful even without a requisite uh, kavana in attention to go along with it. So that was Rava. Uh, today we're going to see another rabbi. Actually, Rava's uh, father-in-law and his uh, teacher, Rev Chista, who lived in the beginning of the fourth uh, century and is a third uh, generation of Babylonian uh, Morav. So he goes in a very uh, different uh, direction than did Rava. Not only does he seem to go with the view we see in the Mishnah, which very much sees ritual as a tie to a person's uh, kavanah, their internal uh, uh, mental uh, processes that go along with it, but he even expands the need for in, uh, in a tenationality to areas where tenetic law does not as well, does, does not at all. So um, we're going to begin our discussion 
with the holiday that's coming up, another one in uh, Tishrei, Chag Hasulakot. And uh, we're going to see that although early law, as found in the Mishnah and Eretz Yisrael, a text, really see the construction of the, of the hookah as uh, really just tied to the physical uh, structure and whether you have met uh, objective set of criteria introduces a need for uh, intentionality in the construction of the sukkah as well. So when we look through the first chapter of Masechet Zhukah uh, of the Mishnayot, we see that it really is all about the physical requirements that make a sukkah valid or not. It's a minimum height or it's maximum height that you can't build it under a tree, you can't build it inside of a house, you can't build it underneath another uh, sukkah. Which items are you allowed to use for the sukkah, for, for the roof? Which items? Um, you know, if they're attached uh, to the ground or if they're de-attached uh, to the ground, can you spread a sheet over the roof of the sukkah? How can you put uh, boards into the roof without nullifying the sukkah? How to build a sukkah in between uh, trees? How to build it out of the trees as the walls? How can you build a sukkah with uh, people being the walls of it? Can you build a sukkah on a boat, on a, on a wagon? The first two uh, chapters are really all about the physical requirements that the structure of the sukkah has to meet. And as long as it does, it seems that your sukkah would be uh, kosher and uh, valid. Um, now there's a possible reference to intention in the Mishnah, but as we'll see, it's actually only brought in the Babli. So let us look now at the first Mishnah in Masechet Sukkah, and you have it in the sources as well. So Mishnah says, Sukkah shehi l'mala me'esrim ama pisula. So if you have a, if you build a sukkah and its walls are, so in English they're more than 20 cubits high, that's not a valid, that is too tall. Rabbi Huda Machshir, whereas Rabbi Huda says, no, that, that is fine. Um, and if it's not at least 10, um, you know, uh, handbreadths high, handbreadths high, or if it uh, doesn't have at least three walls, and uh, if, if, if there's more sun than a tree coming in, that would also make this a sukkah, no, not a valid uh, sukkah. So the first part of the Mishnah lays out some of the physical requirements that a sukkah must conform to. It then reports the following dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Uh, if you have an old uh, sukkah, it was built a long time before uh, sukkah, and Mara says it's 30 days, more than that. So let's say it's old, you already had it there, and then it's uh, the, and then the holiday is uh, coming up. Could you use that for, to fulfill your mitzvah of living in a sukkah? Beit Shammai Poslin. So the house of uh, Shammai says, this is not a valid uh, sukkah. You may not use it for your mitzvah. 
Whereas the house of Hillel says, this is fine. You can use such a sukkah. And now the Mishnah says, Ezu Sukreshna. And what is an old uh, sukkah? If it was built at 30 days before the holiday. But if you built it for the sake of the holiday, then even if you built it at the beginning of the year, as long as you do it for the purpose of the holiday, that would be uh, fun. That would be a kosher uh, sukkah. Now, um, so, so yeah, so we see this uh, dispute between Beit uh, Shammai and Beit Hillel. Um, about whether one can use an old uh, sukkah, but then it would seem that even Beit, uh, even Beit uh, Shammai would agree that if it was made l'shem hachag for the purpose of a holiday, then that would be fine. Now that would seem like um, their dispute is about needing the uh, kavanah. You have to build the sukkah for the purpose of the holiday. Um, which is, and so a bit, uh, bit uh, Shammai says one does need a kavana, one does have to build a sukkah for the purpose of the holiday, and Beit, and Beit Hillel said one would not. Um, so it's a possible that that's what the debate is about, and we'll see that's how the Bavli understands it. However, when we look in the Yerushalmi's uh, discussion of this Mishnah, we see that it doesn't understand this uh, debate so much about uh, Kavanah, about the fact that it has to be built for the uh, purpose of the holiday for the sake uh, of, you know, of, of, of needing a Kavanah. Rather, it's more about, did you uh, build it well? And if you build it too early and not for the purpose of the holiday, then you might not have built it according to the special requirements that the holiday requires. So, just like if you, in case you didn't know what it looked like. Um, so, let us look in the next uh, source I brought. It says, Talmud Yerushalmi, from the Venice version, Masechet Sukkah, Perak Alev, Halachabet. So, it brings our line from the Mishnah. Sukkah Yishana, Beshamai Koslan, Beitelo, Machashirim. Okay, so again, an old Sukkah. Beshamai says it's invalid, Beitelo says it is valid. Tani, uh, it has been a taught. Sarich lechadesh ba'davar. Even according to Beit Hillel, you need to put uh, something new uh, to it to make it a valid. Um, it was built more than thirty days. Chabraya Amre Tefach Rav Yosef Omer Kolshus. So the the Hosied uh, uh, said you. The, the new uh, part you add to it must be at least a hand a breath of the roof. And Rabbi Yosei says, no, it can be any, any small amount you do. As long as you do anything, even if it's a small amount of a new aspect of the sukkah, that would be fine. Okay. Ubevad alpanea kula. As long as it covers the entire face of the sukkah. Okay. But now it, the part I want to look at is the next line. Af be matzah. Now they have the same dispute when it comes to matzah. Matzah hayishana. Tiflukta debate shamai with debate hilla. 
if one baked matzah really early, a long time before the holiday, this too is a dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Um, and again, um, uh, okay, Beit Shammai, Ve'u, However, Rav Yosef says, um, everyone agrees actually that you can't have old matzah. Why? Mikevan shalo asa l'shem pesach. If you weren't making the matzah specifically for the holiday of pesach, davara thari shalo dikdek ba, then it's a clear. Everyone knows that you wouldn't be really uh, careful to make sure that it didn't become leavened. So the fact that you can't have old matzah is not because you need a kavana for the purpose of the holiday per se, it's rather there's a concern that if you make it too early, you might not make it uh, properly because you're not gonna be uh, careful to make sure that it didn't rise and it was within 18 minutes and all the special halachot that are required when making matzah. And, it, it, and you could say that that same concern is regard to sukkot uh, as well. If you make it too early, you're not making it for the holiday per se, then you might not make it according to the physical requirements that have to be met. Now, since it's not as uh, rigorous as matzah, that might be why Beitella was maker. It's like, okay, so we add one new thing, that is fine. Because it's not so hard to make a valid sukkah uh, the way it is by making sure you make a proper matzah. But never, uh, nevertheless, it's not the uh, cause they reacquire a kavanah per se. It's more just the reflective uh, of a concern of will you make this a properly or not. And if you make it too early, you might not. There's a really very real concern about that. So that seems to be the direction that Yerushalmi goes in. This also um, reads well into the views of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel more uh, generally because, um, as a few scholars uh, have written about, Beit Shammai uh, generally is not concerned with a kavana, with uh, thoughts, but generally evaluates um, one's actions uh, based on the act and not the accompanying uh, thought that goes with it. Whereas Beit Hillel uh, generally in other areas of halacha shows a much greater concern for one's uh, thoughts and, and a kavanah as well. It's an article by Yichas, uh, if anyone's interested, I can send it to you. Okay, so that's how the Yerushalmi uh, understands this uh, debate. But when we go to the Babli, we see that it is read as being a machloket, a dispute between Beit Hashama and Beit Hillel, specifically about a kavana. And do you need to build a hukkah with a requisite in attention to go with it? So, in the next source, you have in the, in the, 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 the Talmud Babli Mesechet Sukkah Dabcher Amibet says, Tanya Rabbanan, our rabbis taught, and it's now going to introduce a brighter edition. Okay, so it says Ganvach, uh, a mnemonic advice for Sukkat Goyim, Sukkat Nashim, Sukkat Behema, Sukkat Kuatim. So the Sukkah of a non-Jew, meaning 
Look at a non-Jew uh, build. So look at that women uh, build. Uh, so look at that animals build. I'd like to see that happen. Sukkah of Kutim Shomronim, so Haridans, meaning Israelites who aren't Jews, either from the other Shabbatim, the other tribes of Israel, but not from Yehuda. Or Sukkah Koma Koma, where you just have a Sukkah that happens to be there already. Kishera, these are all a valid Sukkah. Now, what is the common denominator amongst all the people who, or the beings who built uh, these Sukkot? Uh, Women, non-Jews, animals, Shomronim. Well, except for Shomronim, let's say these are all uh, people or animals who don't have an obligation to dwell in the Sukkah. Now, the odd man out here are the Kuatim, are the Samaritans, because they follow the uh, Torah. Not rabbinic uh, Judaism because they're not uh, Jews, you know, they're from other uh, tribes, not Yehuda, and therefore they don't subscribe to, uh, to rabbinic law. But they very much observe the holiday of Sukkot, and indeed, even nowadays, during the Chag HaSukkot, uh, Shomronim built these beautiful, lavish Sukkot made out of uh, uh, fruit in, in their homes, and it's a biblical holiday, and they very much observe it. So uh, they would have an obligation. So Atosvot actually and, uh, um, asks this uh, question and gives an answer for why they are in this list if they are a group who would, um, you know, be obliged to uh, live in the Sukkah. So he writes, or they write in the next source, kutim, so everyone on this list are people who don't um, have an obligation to dwell in the sukkah. So then what do we, what do we, we do about Shomronim who do observe it, who do follow a biblical law? So So this abraita must be according to the opinion, which is recorded elsewhere in the Talmud, that Shomronim, actually were converts, and they weren't real ones. They were converts out of lions. And this recalls the account, um, the a biblical account brought in Ezra and Nehemiah, where there's a group of people living in Israel when uh, during, uh, during the, when the Jews are able to come back from the egg, the egg exile in uh, Babylonia, and they're able to rebuild the Beit HaMikadash. And there's a group there living in Israel at the time who were relocated by the uh, Syrians. And uh, they want to know how to worship the local gods because they're being attacked by lions. So they only can uh, avert out of fear of the lions. So according to one view in uh, rabbinic literature, these are the Shomronim. So they weren't actually from the tribe of Yosef, as they uh, 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 claim uh, to be. They're actually part of these uh, converts who only kind of averted out of a fear of lions uh, attacking them, but they, but they weren't real true uh, converts. So it says uh, Tos Abot, that is who this Brightaria refers to. But in other words, this group in the Brights are all people who don't have an obligation to live in a Zhukka. And yet, if any of them uh, builds one, it's a valid uh, Zhukka. Um, 
And why is that? Bilbad shetehei mesuachecha kehilchata. So back in the the Gemara, it's a valid hukka, irrespective of who builds it, as long as it's built properly. So this would seem to say, as long as you build it according to the specifications in the Mishnah, it's a valid kosher hukka. And we don't care who made it, because that doesn't matter. All that matters is that you have a valid uh, structure. And that's what we look at. And if a non-Jew can uh, build it, that would uh, clearly say, you don't have to have a, a requisite uh, kavana in attention when you uh, build the hukka. All that matters is that you have it and it's made uh, properly, and then you can live in it and that's your mitzvah. However, when we look in the Gemara's discussion of it, we see that Rev. Chista, a teacher of Rava, understands this abraita in a different way. So my kehilchata, what does this abraita mean when it says you build it uh, pro properly according to the law? So I would have thought and that's what it seemed like it meant. You built it according to the specifications of the Mishnah. However, Amar Rav Chista, Rav Chista says, Hu she'asa le'seo. It's built for the uh, a purpose, or here, I wrote in more English, and clearly here, the covering was made with the intention of uh, providing shade for the sukkah. Um, so it's not enough to just build it uh, properly. When you build it, you have to have the, a purpose that it's going to provide uh, shade. Now, Rashi explains what this means. So look in the next uh, source after uh, Tosfo. I did put numbers in, but I So Rashi, Amasechat Sukkah, Dabchet Amabet writes, Amar Rav Chista. So Rav Chista says, "Hi meaning the way he to, to find you are built up by law. Who It means that you made the roof well. You made it uh, uh, properly. Because if you built your roof uh, properly, that shows that your uh, purpose, that your uh, kavana was for the shade. And that it wasn't just to uh, give you some uh, privacy in your uh, backyard. You have to make it uh, clear that when you built it, you built it for the purpose that it uh, provided a shade. Even though we don't actually require that you build your sukkah uh, for the a purpose of the holiday. We do require that you build it for the sake of uh, sukkah. And what does it mean to build it for the purpose that you're making a uh, sukkah? That it provide a shade. 
שסוחכת מן החור, that you're using your roof from, you know, dried, uh, um, growing things. So, we don't hold like the view of Beta Shammai. We ever do. Beta Shammai is the rejected opinion. And we always uh, follow the house of Hillel. Nevertheless, says Rev. while you don't have to build your, uh, your uh, sukkah for the purpose of the holiday, you do have to build it for the purpose of uh, sukkah, which is that it's a provide a shade. And not that to build yourself a little hut, not that you want to cool down in the sun, or you don't want your neighbors to watch you while you eat. It has to be for the purpose that it's to provide a shade. And in this way, Rev. Chista introduces a need for kavanah, where uh, formerly all that really mattered was that you built a structure according to the laws uh, set out for what it should look like. Um, now we find a, a similar ruling um, by Rev. Chista elsewhere in Mesechet Sukkah with regard to a different Mishnah um, in the first a chapter of Mesechet Sukkah, which likewise delineates the physical uh, structure of the sukkah. So, any other questions? Yes. Uh, sorry, there are there have been some comments in the chat. I'm not sure if you're able to see them uh, yeah. uh, very easily, but I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Thank you. Let me... um, if you want to read them out loud, if you're going to comment on them, yeah. that would be helpful. Okay. Cause... So, um, Okay, so, okay, this is an easy one. Can you uh, clarify? Which one is which one's uh, father-in-law? Rabba is the son-in-law. He married Reb uh, uh, uh daughter. There's a book out by Megan Anna, Tom Reb Chista's uh, daughter. She comes up in a few anecdotes in the Bobli. Um, so Reb Chista was Rabba's uh, father-in-law and uh, teacher. Okay, what about adding or changing some a decorative element to the, to the sukkah? Good a question. We're actually going to get to that in the next uh, top, in the next session um, we're going to look at. So hold off on that one. So a kavana, I'm reading the next a question. Kavana is all about performing acts for the right reason. No heart or soul in the sense of a feeling or a sentiment or emotion involved. So that's going back to what we did last time. The way the halacha has been uh, codified is that, no, you actually do need a kavana to do a mitzvah. But, um, I mean, that's how the Shulchan Aruch ends up bringing down the halacha. Um, and most of the medieval rabbis also went against the opinion of the rabbi to say, no, you do need a kavana when you do mitzvot, when you, when you do rituals. But, um, I think, uh, first of all, often we don't necessarily feel, you know, maybe we're becoming close to God or whatever it is, the uh, kavana we are meant to have. But I think the opinion of Rava shows that that's okay. And a ritual can still be very meaningful, even if you lack an internal conviction at the time. An act can be meaningful in its own right, because we as a people give it meaning. Um, so 
It's not the way the halakha ultimately was uh, codified, but it does show that this is a view and it's a valid view. Um, and I think it could add a, a new meaning to rituals um, when it can feel hard to relate and say, you know, necessarily, sometimes we don't always, you know, during a prayer, it can be hard to focus and to always have the right uh, thoughts and mind uh, frame that we are supposed to have. And this is a saying, that's okay. You can have a very rich, meaningful religious life, even by uh, doing the acts. Um, I hope that answered the question. And finally, what's the difference between, for the purpose of a, of a Sukkot, meaning the holiday, and for the purpose of a being, uh, since the only reason for building a circuit is for the purpose of observing Sukkot, you are right. And I think the problem Rashi is trying to uh, grapple with is that we don't hold like Beit uh, Shammai. He's the rejected opinion. So um, why is Rabbi Hista going with kind of this view of Beit, uh, Beit uh, Shammai? So Rashi is coming to say, so it's not. Because Beit Shammai says you have to build it for the for the for the sake of the holiday, whereas Rebbe Hist is saying it's not for the holiday; it's for the structure. You're right. I don't see. I mean, we can nitpick it. There is a difference, but it's not a huge one. Um, but I realized I actually didn't read. I skipped a Gemara on Ted Amud Olive where a Gemara gives the reasoning for Beit Shammai. So thank you for reminding me about that. So let's just go to the Gemara, right? I gotta see what the numbers are. Um, it is source number uh, uh, three before you. Source number three, there we go. So my time is Beit Shammai. What is the reasoning for Beit Shammai? Why does he say that an old uh, sukkah is in a ballad? So we saw the uh, uh, Shammai seems to say it's about you might not build it well. But the Bible does not say that. Rather, it says, Amar Kra, so the Apasik says, it says in the uh, Torah, Hasukot Shabbat Yamim La Hashem. Chag Hasukot Shabbat Yamim La Hashem. The festival of Sukkot is uh, seven days unto the Lord, meaning, uh, that in the case that we reacquire uh, Sukkot. Be built for the sake of the holiday. And then it brings an, another then, and then it says, well, what does Beit Hillel do with that? And it goes back and forth. Then it brings another a biblical uh, proof for Beit Shammai. Elamai, time of Beit Shammai. Rather, what is, the, what is the real reasoning for Beit Shammai invalidating an old uh, sukkah? Ketiv ha'kra'a So there's another biblical verse which says, Chag ha'sukot taseh lecha shabbat yamin. So um, you shall pre prepare for you the festival of the Sukkot for seven days. And again, Sukkah Ha'asuya L'Shem Chag Ba'inan. We require that you build the Sukkah for the sake of the holiday. Ubeit Hillel. So what does Beit Hillel do with that um, a verse? He needs to learn, or they need to learn a, a law from that as well. So Hahu Mibayle Le'Osin Sukkah B'Cholok Shal Mo'ed. So they use that verse, gosh, a lot of English here. That is to uh, teach that one um, can even build a uh, sukkah during Chol 
ha-mo'ed, you know, the, the days in between the uh, first day and the last day. So that even if you build it during chal ha-mo'ed, it's still a valid hukkah. Ubit shamai. And what does he do with that law? How does he learn that law out? Sibir alludes to Rebbe Eliezer. He actually holds the view of Rebbe Eliezer. Damar enus in sukkah v'chol shamo'ed. Because Rebbe Eliezer holds that one may not build their sukkah during chol hamo'ed, and it's not a surprise that Rebbe Eliezer would be in line with the view of Beit Shammai, because he's often been associated with the house of Shammai. So um, we see that the that the a view that you need to build a sukkah for the a purpose of the holiday is the rejected opinion of Beit Shammai. So Rev Chista can't hold like that. So he finds another way to introduce a need for a kavana into the construction of the sukkah. You have to build it for the purpose that it served as a sukkah. And we can, you know, debate how different is that from Shammai. Rashi says it is, and you know, it's slightly different. So that's what he what he writes here. Now, um, we're going to see that he says uh, uh, something very uh, similar with regard to uh, the, the, the third mission, the first parak of Masechet Shoka, source number uh, seven. So the Mishnah there writes, um, this will relate to a, a question uh, someone asked about hanging uh, decorations. So it says in the Mishnah, if you spread a sheet over the roof of your uh, sukkah because it's too uh, bright from the sun, or you lay it underneath the, the sukkah because leaves are going to fall into your uh, soup, or if you uh, spread a sheet over a four-post uh, bed, that is an invalid sukkah. Uh, but you could spread a sheet over a one post, I mean, a two post sukkah. Uh, I mean, it's like one rod and then you hang the sheet over the rod so it forms a triangular sheet and there's no wide roof of the sheet uh, blocking out the sukkah. So again, um, it seems like this uh, this halacha is uh, purely about what the construction of the sukkah may look like. Now, um, Rabbi Achista actually. So here's the Mishnah. Now, Rabbi Achista um, says the uh, following on this Mishnah. So I actually. I must have accidentally erased it, but this is what he says. And I'll read the Hebrew, you have the English here. Amar Rav Chista. So Rav Chista said, Lo shanu ela ha-esher. When our Mishnah in validates a sheet, it's only if you spread the sheet because of falling leaves. Aval in but if you spread the sheet, in order to make it uh, beautiful, like you spread it for a nice uh, decoration, kishera, it's uh, a ballad. 
So we see that you can do the very same act, hang a sheet under your sechach. And whether it invalidates the sechach or not, completely depends on why you spread the sheet there. It completely depends on your kavanah. If you spread in order to catch leaves, your sechach is in a ballot. But if you spread the same sheet because you like the way it looks and makes your sechach look nice, says Rebbe, that is a valid sechach. So one act is uh, determined uh, differently based on your uh, a purpose and your uh, mindset when uh, doing it. So what we see from both cases is that Rebbe Chista advances the idea that there's no a purely objective hadadis uh, to the uh, structure of the shukah. Rather, a valid shukah is also dependent on the intentions of the person building it. Um, now, this way of uh, thinking about these kinds of rituals is not limited to the mitzvah of uh, sukkah, but it appears in other rulings by Rev Chist and other ritual halachot, which are likewise about a uh, physical uh, date that we are looking to. Um, and we find a very uh, similar ruling by Rav Chista when it comes to a Brit Milah. Um, with regard to circumcision, the uh, prevailing position evidenced in ancient Israel, both not only in early rabbinic law, but also in Second Temple works like Joe's uh, Hephus, is that all that matters if you is that you have a valid circumcision. It doesn't matter who did it. You don't need like a special Jewish oil. It could be done without kavana. Uh, you could do it without, you know, not for the purpose of doing a mitzvah. Forced circumcisions were a valid. All that all that mattered was that a Jewish male has this uh, physical mark. And how it got there wasn't really relevant. Um, and we'll see once again that Rev. Hista introduces a need for uh, a kavanah when doing the ritual of the Brit Milah. So um, this is seen in the next uh, source, number eight, um, which lists a whole bunch of disputes regarding a non-Jew and again, uh, Shomroni, a Samaritan who uh, performs a Brit Milah on a Jewish male, a baby, and whether that's a valid Brit or not. So we find a few opinions on the matter. Um, I'll read a little bit, it's a little long, and I don't want to get lost, but I made a chart laying out the different opinions. So um, we have our rabbis taught, this is source number eight, in Sechet Abodazara. So a Jew may uh, circumcise a, a non-Jew to make him a convert, but not to remove like a worm-like disease. Uh, Meaning he can do it for uh, religious reasons, but not for medical reasons. And a non-Jew may not uh, circumcise a Jew 
מפני שחשודים על שפיכות דמים, דברי רבי מאיר. So, the, the only reason a non-Jew can circumcise a Jew, Rabbi Meir, is that we are concerned al that he may kill the Jewish baby. So it's not because there's any uh, fundamental halachic, a problem with a non-Jew giving a Brit to a Jew. It's just we're, kind of, we're, kind of, we're concerned for the health and the safety of the, a child. So that's the view of Rabbi Meir. So, since we are since we are concerned for the baby's health, if there's a Jew watching, then that would be fine. About they know that they know both, but it's just the non-Jew and the baby. No, that would not be okay. Okay, and so that's the first abrightness. So, where Rabbi Meir says a non-Jew may not circumcise uh, uh, a Jew because we're concerned he might not kill you, basically. Now it brings another abrita, which has different opinions. Um, so skip down to the uh, 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 two lines down where it says, Verim mean who? And they uh, challenge this. Ir she'en ba'rofei Yisrael. If there's a, a city with no Jewish uh, a doctor, who can't even imagine a single Jewish doctor? The Yesh Kuti, Kochavim, but there is a Shomroni, uh, a doctor, or a non Jewish uh, doctor. So here we have Rebbe Meir allowing um, the non Jewish uh, doctor to do the Brit, but not the Shomroni. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda, and this is Rabbi Yehuda bar Eli, and these are both fourth generation Tanaim. He says, no, you can have the Shomroni do the Brit, but you can't have the non-Jew do the Brit. So it's really, it's not about a technical lacking in a non-Jew. This all seems to be a kind of, a kind of concern, will they harm you or not? And therefore, if it's a doctor, maybe, you know, we are less can, uh, can discern that there'll be a problem. And now it brings another abrita, which with another set of tanaim. And these, and these are both fifth uh, generation tanaim. Vehatanya, so two lines down. Vehatanya, and it's taught in Abraita, Yisrael mal atakuti v'kuti lo yimol Yisrael v'pnei shamal l'shem har gerizim. So it is taught, a Jew may perform a circumcision on a kutin, which again, that's a shomroni, but a kutin may not circumcise a Jew because the kutin will uh, circumcise for the sake of har gerizim, which is the site of the shomroni uh, uh, temple. So we see for the for the first time, Rebbe Yehuda, and this is Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, Rebbe Yehuda, a prince who's a fifth generation Atana, he says, we have a concern with the Shomroni because he may have the wrong uh, Kabana. When he does the Brit, he may uh, 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 direct his heart not to Yerushalayim, not to, you know, Hashem, but to their a temple on Har Gerizim, and that would be a problem. But Rabbi Yossi disagrees, and Amar lo Rabbi Yossi. 
where do we see that uh, a Brit that is circumcised, that is circumcision from the Torah must be performed for its own uh, uh, sake? Rather, the Sharoni can keep on doing the Brit, keep on circumcising until his soul departs up, up from him. So we see that while the fourth generation Tanaim are really just kind of concerned with will they harm a baby or not, and that's the only reason a non-Jew or a Shomroni wouldn't be allowed to do a Brit. Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi in the next generation brings the idea that one could have the wrong kavana when doing a Brit Milah. But we only see him say that one is not allowed to have the wrong akavana. He makes no claim that one must have the right akavana, and that is where Reva Chistanel comes in. So in the next line of Pagamara, Reva Chista says in the last line, Amar Rev Chista. Rev Chista said, My Tama to Rev Yehuda. What is the reasoning for Rebbe Yehuda? Why does he say that Akuti, that uh, Shomroni, can't do a Brit because he will be, you know, have his heart uh, towards Har uh, Gerizim? Why does he say you can't uh, do that? Dechtiv, because it says in the Torah, La Hashem Kimo. Um, for it says, yeah, to the Lord he shall circumcise. The Rebbe Yossi, and what about Rebbe Yossi? Why does he say you don't need anything? Himol imol, uh, he shall be circumcised. Now, the a verse that Rebbe Chista refers to is this one. If a stranger uh, dwells with you, Basa, a Pesach Hashem, and wants to offer the Pesach, the Passover sacrifice, Himol lo calls Zachar. He must uh, circumcise all males. But as ye crab then he can then he can come a close to bring the sacrifice. The Akazrach Aretz will be like a citizen of the country. And all non-circumcised men cannot eat from the Karban of Pesach. So what a Reva has to do, he takes two separate clauses. That's the end of the clause. And then the next clause is. So he takes two words from two different clauses, to the Lord, he shall be circumcised, and puts those two together to say, when you circumcise a boy, it must be la Hashem. And in that way, he goes uh, farther than Rebbe Huda, because Rebbe Huda was only concerned that one would have the wrong kavanah. But Rebbe uh, Hista says no. He even re reacquires that one have a kavana. When one does a Brit, it's not enough to just not uh, think about har agirizim. You also have to actively have a positive uh, 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 thought that this is for a God. That you're doing this a Brit because it is a, 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 a commandment by a God. Um, and you know, when you look back to uh, source number uh, three, when it gives the a verse for Beit Shammai's opinion that one must build a sukkah for the sake of a holiday, 
the adrasha there does something very like this one here, of taking two words from two separate uh, clauses to come abide them. So in source number three, where it says, Amar Chagas Kot Shabbat Yamim Hashem, he takes, you know, Hasu Akot, even though it's about the holiday, but isolates it to be just about the structure itself, and come and come abides it with Hashem. I had a whole other bunch of uh, sources here, but I see we don't have a time uh, for it. But what we see uh, throughout all these rulings of Rev Hista uh, is that he takes the view of the Mishnah and he uh, goes with it and he ex he ex he expands it by uh, stressing the importance of mental activity uh, beyond what is found in the Mishnah. So to uh, sum up, Rav Chista introduces requirements of a Kavanah in ritual uh, beyond that which the Mishnah seems to indicate. And he makes in, in a tent a parameter that can define the status of a ritual object. Now, uh, to be clear, there are earlier rulings which do require that various ritual objects have some sort of proper uh, thoughts when uh, being made, such as seat seat, uh, fringes, and uh, slaughtering animals. But he is, he is uh, unique in introducing it into areas where it had not been done so before, into areas that uh, previously were really just about uh, a physical object. The last example, which we don't have a time for, is about uh, getting rid of uh, leaven of chametz uh, before uh, Pesach. And while uh, previously in early rabbinic law, one had to actually get rid of it, Rev. Chesa is a first to say that if you're not able to, you could do a bit of a You can mentally know it mold the leaven that you're not able to um, uh, get to on your own. And we'll just uh, uh, finish it off that unlike Rava, whom the halacha does not ultimately uh, follow, in the last source you have, the, the, the halacha is uh, codified in the Shulchan Aruch, writes, Sukkah, Avu Pishalona Seit L'Shem Mitzvah, Kesheira, Vehu Shetia Asuya, so you don't have to do it for the purpose of the mitzvah, but you do have to build it for the purpose of the shade it uh, provides. We go to So, so it needs to be built with a kavana. It doesn't have to be for the for the purpose of the holiday per per se, but it does have to be built for the a purpose that it's provide a trade, which as Rashi says, that is really what the essence of the sukkah, the mitzvah, is meant uh, to be. I'm just gonna stop my share. Okay, so I see we have a few more questions here. Okay. Um, if one hires a doctor, a Jew and non-Jew, does it matter to perform a circumcision? But it doesn't matter what the doctor's intentions or just what the father's parents and intentions arranging for the Brits and engaging the doctor. Good uh, question. Um, so 
the very uh, fact that we make brachot, uh, blessings, when we do these mitzvot, does take a care of the, uh, uh, the uh, kavana aspect. And some say maybe that is why we make brachot before we do mitzvot. It's to give you that uh, kavana that you need. Um, so that does take a care of the issue. Um, okay. And came in at uh, perfect timing. So um, in sum, we saw how one rabbi went, we saw two rabbis go in very different uh, directions with regard to in attention and ritual. We saw one totally get rid of that need. And we saw another one uh, this week who not only goes with the Mishnahic view that one does need in attention, but brings it into new areas that uh, previously no such reacquirement um, ever was. So um, next week, we're going to look at another aspect of a Kavana and Feirot uh, and, uh, and as it relates to Yom Kippur and just in uh, general, how we uh, view our thoughts, uh, painful thoughts, if you intend to do a good deed and uh, do not, and how that may uh, resonate with other ideas that were current in the ancient world. So I look forward to learning with you all next week. And thank you all so much. And uh, have thank a Shana Tova and a Ketira Chatima Tova, a wonderful new year, wherever you might be, wherever. Uh, Whatever our shul is outside, you know, quarantine or whatever. And, uh, you know, may the chauffeur lift our hearts to the mitzvah or just to uh, bring us all together as a people. Um, and I thank you all. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Shravchik. And thank you all for joining us today on Zoom and on Drisha Live and on Facebook. Uh, we're going to continue our L program tomorrow afternoon with part four of Rabbi David Silber's class on Akedah Tietzlach, and then tomorrow evening, part two of Ritual Reenactment with Rabbanit Leah Sarna. And on Thursday, uh, continuing LL programs, we've got Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zuckier's class on the Kapara of Yom Kippur. And as we do each time around this year, we're excited to host the Stanley Rudolph Memorial High Holidays Lecture. And this year is on the occasion of the 29th yard site of Stanley Rudolph, and it will take place this Wednesday, September 16th. So save the date, 1 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Israel. Dr. Yael Ziegler is going to present a talk titled, the, Does the Book of Tehillim Tell a Story? If you haven't yet registered, there's, of course, there's still time. For more information, visit our site, www.drisha.org forward slash classes. The Zoom, the Facebook Live link, the Drisha Live link, are post, all the, the links are posted uh, in, uh, in each particular class. If you missed the class and you want to catch up, we do post the recordings of classes on our website in our online library. So just go to drisha.org and in the toolbar, it says online library, recorded classes, click on those and uh, just search by the keyword or by teacher um, or topic categories. So thank you again, Dr. Strachik, and we're happy to have had this opportunity to learn with you today. And I look forward to seeing you along with everyone else who joined us today in next week's session, same time, same place. And who knows, hopefully sooner in our other upcoming Grisha classes. Have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone, and Shana Tova. Thank you so much.